Welcome to the K-12 Food Rescue Podcast. I'm John Williamson, the host of the podcast and founder of K-12 Food Rescue, an organization founded in 2007, committed to empowering people to lead the food is not trash movement in their school districts. Today, I'm joined by Steve Gudorf, a volunteer with the Martin Luther King Center in Indianapolis and former Indianapolis Public School Nutrition Service Administrator and K-12 Food Rescue Leader in Indianapolis. So Steve, welcome to the K-12 Food Rescue Podcast. Thank you, John. Pleasure to be here. So, Steve, can you tell our audience a little bit about yourself and maybe how long you've volunteered with the Martin Luther King Center in Indy and what your role is currently with the center? Sure. I am a retired food service administrator, 43 years in total, serving students from pre-K to graduate school, uh, Purdue University residence halls, Lebanon Community Schools, and my longest stint was with Indianapolis Public Schools for 28 years. So that has been my life work and my passion. So you know the inner workings of food service from a, sounds like a 40-year career. <laughs> or I is do. it over 40 years? I do. Yeah. yeah, I do. So let's give our audience a little feel for our connection. You know, back in 2014, we began to solicit schools to meet regarding K-12 Food Rescue. And I think you were copied in on many of those original exchanges as a nutrition service administrator in IPS and ultimately many of those meeting notes. Um, do you have any recollections of what you were thinking at the time about the task required to get 70 plus schools involved in K-12 Food Rescue? <laughs> well, you know, everything in a district as large as IPS takes a lot of planning and coordinating. And I am fortunate in that that is one of my specialties. I am organized, I'm a planner, and I typically coordinated a lot of the big scale projects at IPS. And this was one of them. So when the contacts first were made from you, I knew that it would end up in my lap and I was happy to, I was happy to do that. You know, you do what you're assigned and give your best. Absolutely. So as a former food service administrator of the largest school corporation in Indiana, <laughs> can you share what is involved in trying to implement and coordinate any, any policy such as rescuing food with so many schools? Well, again, a, a lot of coordination and planning and written procedures. I <laughs> worked for the, uh, my first director that I worked for at IPS was just adamant about written procedures. Her philosophy was, if it wasn't in writing, you don't have anything. And that's true, because everybody yeah. changes the story as they receive it. So she helped me. I thought I was a pretty good writer before, but she helped me become an even better writer. So immediately, the procedure process went into my head, and looking at how all of the the agencies versus the school versus the students, how all this interconnects and what each party's role was in making this successful. So that was the task I was assigned and wrote the initial procedures for food rescue at IPS. Also ordered the, one of my jobs was to order a spec, write the specs and order all the equipment in the food service department. Okay. And I wrote specs and ordered equipment for food rescue. Simple as it is, but there are some specific needs that the kitchen wouldn't normally have and you know we got that set up and it's all standardized everything at ips is very standardized by design oh it has to be i'm sure it has to be <laughs> that's right so once you retired um can you tell us what led you to collect with connect with the martin luther king center 
you know, what was your, how did that, how did that come about? Sarah mentioned in, in her talk with you, I am a neighbor. I live right next door to the building. Mm-hmm. A dear friend of mine has been a volunteer here for eight or nine years working with elementary age students in the literacy program. And I knew how valuable that experience was for her. She also was retired or is retired. And I thought, well, that might be something I'd be interested in. So somehow made the connection really with Sarah to start with Sarah Ferguson, the fund development coordinator, who also is responsible for the volunteers. And we just sort of connected and what can I do? Well, she took me to the kitchen and my question was answered. I knew what I could do because I knew I could help bring that kitchen up to a little higher standards. It wasn't horrible, but it just needed some love and it needed some new equipment. So the director here was very, uh, uh, you know, worked very closely with us and, and was in agreement that we needed to buy some things to be able to better serve the students the meal that they receive every day. So I started really with the kitchen, getting the Got kitchen it. back to snuff, ordering some equipment. And then I, I did see that there were some holes in the meals, the food received here from a couple of different agencies. It's good, it's wholesome food, but it, there, were some, there were some spaces that needed to be filled. And I, you know, having worked with students all these years, I know what they like. I know what they want. I know what they will eat and what they won't eat. And I knew there was a way to fill those gaps. Oh, via yeah. food rescue. Yeah, with, yeah with, with your expertise and knowledge. So, so and, yeah. Said, Do you mind if I, uh, you know, pursue this? And as you know, post COVID, uh, food rescue had really gone to bed. Yeah, for, yeah. You know, for all the right reasons. Right. And she was she was happy that I would be willing to do this, even with just a small group. And uh, you know, she gave me the go ahead. And the managers I coordinated with or coordinate with, most of them I had hired, so I knew them, and it was an mm. easy easy oh. transition. Yeah. So that kind of answers the question about your post COVID, you know, stuff and how you got it going. It was those previous relationships that were very helpful in reigniting it. That's right. Yeah. So some of the things that I'll ask you are probably some repeat questions from things I went over with Lucretia and um, Sarah before, but I kind of want to get your perspective on it as well. You know, how many schools uh, with K-12 food rescue programs have you coordinated with the MOK Center? Presently six, and I think that's really about the limit, again, because of storage and just timing. I have two uh, retirees working with me on this, and they graciously give us their time to help pick this food up, sort it, prepare it for meal service, etc. So, you know, for our little group, I think we're about to our maximum, but we are with IPS School 43, Butler Lab School 60, CFI at School 70, CFI at School 84, uh, Montessori School 87, and Short Ridge High School all within a reasonable driving distance from the Martin Luther King Center. Yeah, I I am so glad that you mentioned capacity because sometimes I get questions about, you know, what's the prevention of 100% participation? Why don't all schools do this? And I'm like, you know what? There's a capacity to every single carrying agency within a few miles. And and there's storage issues. There's ability to do handle the logistics. Um, And it's not always just that the school doesn't want to participate or won't participate. It's that the capacity just isn't there um, 
or the carrying agency. If I would ask you if you had more refrigerators or, you know, is there, would you want more if you had more volunteers or more, or more refrigerators? Could you, could you get, could you get more food out there if you did have those things? I guess would be the question. I don't think we could as far as at serving at the school site. Mm-hmm. The only thing that we could expand on, and we'd have to be really specific about how we manage that, would be food that goes home, more Mm. food that goes home. You know, the package items, let's say, for example, fresh pineapple in individual bags. Usually on the menu, I will allow the students to take two with the hope that they keep both of them either at school or eat one here and take one home. But those are all safe to put in the backpack and, and yep. get it home. But uh, you know, the only thing I think we could expand on, and we just don't have the space for that, is more foods going home. I know Miss Cree mentioned about the snack packs, and I'd love to see that expanded to other items that are safe to travel. Yes, yeah, when it goes they're... in a backpack, it may stay there all weekend. Yeah, you know, yeah. we've heard horror stories of parents finding a something in the backpack that was unrecognizable the next week. Yeah, that's a common question we get about backsack and backpack programs is why can't this food go home? I'm like, you can't send a milk home in a backpack. You just, you know, exactly you just can't. Right. And, and frankly, a lot of our food is perishable. Um, not all of it, but, um, you know, a good bit of it is. Well, um, there's a conscious that it is, you know, it is second time around for these foods. Yeah. And some foods are more, sensitive to that than others. I mean, you know, any protein item we have to really be careful with. In fact, we don't really take outside of milk and cheese. We don't really accept uh, hamburgers and that type of thing. Right. That we, we just, it's too risky. There are too many factors involved and, you know, we don't want to be on the six o'clock news. No, no. Um, you know, I, we're talking about capacity. There's an organization called Fueled for School that has started in the past two or three years in the Noblesville area. And I've interviewed um, some of the folks involved with that. And the volunteer capacity to do that program is pretty intense. You know, so just the, having the food availability, available and the willingness of a school to do it is only part of, you know, the yes. equation when you're trying to execute something that's, like this. That's exactly right. Um, well, well, why don't you give our audience a little bit idea, like just the logistics, um, kind of, of how this works, you know, okay. with this, with this, uh, surplus, uh, okay. food from schools. Well, first of all, I mapped out a calendar for the entire semester. I'm working on the one for second semester that included the days off when school's not in session, the holiday mm-hmm. periods, the break periods, so that we were, you know, trying to hit every school every other day. That's the goal. So Monday, Wednesday, Friday, one week, Tuesday, Thursday, the next week, which maps out to be every other day. That's for our capacity, for the school's capacity. Because, you know, they're trying to store these items that we're going to pick up, and they run out of room, too. So I think that every other day is the best arrangement. So we start our journey every other day, near the end of the meal serving periods it varies from school to school but you know basically around 12:30 and we follow the same order based on their meal schedules mm-hmm. and hit each school the managers are so cooperative they typically have the food already packed boxed in a milk crate whatever ready to go if they don't they you know quickly move to that because they support this mm-hmm. they are excited about it 
And they have expressed to me, a couple just this week, they'd love for their students in the school to know more about what happens to that food. Yes. If they see that green tub out in the cafeteria or they see that blue cooler out there and they put things in there, what happens to it? I would love for them to know more about what happens to it. Absolutely. It's so critical. It's such a critical piece. So we gather it up and then bring it back here to the center, try to be back here between 2.30 and 3, and then have the great sorting game. We empty our bags, and <laughs> it looks like Halloween with all the bags of goodies emptied out. But you know, again, very timely. We try to move this quickly so that food is you know, not out of refrigeration or not, uh, you know, that it's handled safely and, and swiftly. So then we get it in its proper storage area. Some, most of the items are used within one or two days. That's my goal. Mm-hmm. I don't want to hold this stuff. Don't have room right. for it, but I want to move it out quickly. And a good deal of it goes out the very day we pick it up. Like we are picking up today. I'm anticipating getting a snack out of this today and probably a side to go with dinner tonight and maybe milk. Milk so is the big milk's yeah. the big draw. If we could just get milk every day, enough milk to serve every day, I think these kids would be just thrilled because they immediately gravitate to the milk and they're excited about having it. And you know, what more basic thing in child nutrition programs than milk? Absolutely. Um, and yet, you know, that actually ends up being one of the things that gets um not eaten sometimes because kids right. actually you know there's some kids that struggle with dairy you know yes, so yes. and it's not and any it's not a dislike it's just you know they have issues with they can't, they can't, uh, yeah. they're lactose yeah. intolerant Absolutely. we have juice four ounce juice that we uh, pick up as well so we typically have an alternative if the child cannot eat uh, or is lactose intolerant yeah i was i was hearing uh, sarah and lucretia describe um $30,000 in savings for the MLK Center as a result of, and annually as a result of participating in this program, that really floored me. I mean, that number, just just the, the fact that, that that's... I, I that's, think that's a pretty safe bet. You know, snacks, well, food is expensive. We all know that. And uh, those snack items, you know, uh, things easily eaten out of hand, those are very pricey because they are mostly convenience foods and... Mm-hmm. Yeah, and they used to spend that out of their own school budget or sometimes out of their own pockets. You know, teachers are notorious for spending out of their pockets. Yes, yes. <laughs> and you think, you know, where that $30,000 can go for other things to benefit those kids as well. I and mean, there's just so many tentacles to to this issue and how it's, and the benefits of it. That's um, correct. Can you... Uh, with the logistics that you just described, obviously you've got the folks on site there at the MLK Center. How many volunteers, Steve, does it take to make it go? Well, including myself, there are three of us. Okay. But get assistance from uh, Sarah, from Cree, as mm-hmm. needed. Uh, you know, it depends on how big the load is, really. Right. But typically, two or three of us can handle it. Again, the kitchen's not huge, so you can't you can't squeeze a lot of people in there. And I, we don't want to spill out into other areas of the building because this is a very busy, active organization. Mm. And we try to 
you know, keep in our corner and do our thing and provide what we can provide. Well, I'm going to tell you a story that you might not know, but 15 years ago when our organization Food Rescue started, my wife and I were picking up at restaurants and taking food to food pantries, and it became more than we could handle. And we sent a group email to a bunch of our friends just showing them pictures of what we were doing and asking them if they could help us. And we were blown away at the response at how many people wanted to go pick up food and take it to a caring agency. And that is actually the origins of the beginning of the organization, just involving people um, in the process. So if you ever wanted more people, um, a group email would, uh, I guarantee you'd get some more volunteers if you needed it. I'm sure that's true. And the group I would target would be retirees in school food service or any any other kind of food service. Because there's yep. already a knowledge of, you know, the, the matter at hand and, and how serious it is. Yep. So based on your experience with K-12 Food Rescue in these six schools, can you, uh, just from your point of view, how much of a difference would it make related to food insecurity if every Marion County school donated all their perishable and non-perishable student trader trash waste or back of the cafeteria waste or whatever? We were talking earlier about different terminologies. If just all of the food that was that could be saved was saved um, and given to caring agencies in Marion County. Oh, it would be it would make a tremendous difference. Uh, you know, once you've handled all the hurdles of storage and and transporting and those sorts of things, yes, it would make a tremendous difference. You know, not only storage at the recipient, but storage at the donor end. Mm-hmm. You know, I think of those IPS schools. The majority of them are satellite schools. They have three roll-in refrigerators and three or four milk coolers. Mm. And, you know, they're, they're filled to the brim with the needs for the, you know, for the student meals. So it, it's a lot of it has to do with storage. It really does. I hate to harp on that, but that's a, that's a major factor. Yeah, it's capacity. It's a capacity issue, and there's so many questions on that on both ends of it. That's just uh, there's an old saying in in no, I say an old saying, but in the food waste space, as I call it, that we don't have a food supply problem. We have a food distribution problem. That's, How do we distribute it? That is true. That is, yeah. I totally agree with that statement. So as we wrap up, um, is there any advice you would offer a school or a school district who might be considering starting a K-12 food rescue program um, from a caring agency point of view? Well, certainly, you know, connect with an agency in in the area and establish that relationship and establish written procedures on how this is going to be handled. You know, hand, food safety is, is serious business and handling food is serious business. And I think this food even more so because it's already, you know, had one life. So you have to be extra cautious mm-hmm. in giving it the proper care. But, you know, I think, you know, coordinating with a, an agency and then establishing your procedures jointly on how that is going, how, how the pickup distribution is going to uh, is going to play out. So that actually kind of ties in, you know, to my last question. You know, I was going to ask you if anyone was interested in learning more about starting a K-12 food rescue program, could they reach out to you? But um, I, w- I would tie into that. You have these procedures, right? So yes. if someone reached out to you, you'd be able to do a lot of the work as far as, hey, here's the procedures we use um, and kind of give them a template for that. 
I could, and I would be happy to do that. Uh, if someone's interested, they can reach me either by phone, and I'll give you my phone number, or by email. Awesome. And my phone number is 317-924-1942. And my email is my first initial S, my last name, G-U-D-O-R-F, as in Frank, Gudorf, at iCloud.com. Well, Steve, I'm just so blessed that you joined me today and shared your heart for this program and, and what you're doing with K-12 Food Rescue and the MLK Center. And uh, I hope that uh, others that, that hear that your story today and how you got involved will see the impact that it's having in community. And I just so appreciate what you've done to, to spread K-12 Food Rescue across uh, Marion County. Well, it's my pleasure. It's It's been what I've done for my entire career and i'm happy to continue doing it as long as i'm able to do that well thanks so much steve and have a great day thank you john you too